Hello, and welcome to Firmly Grasp It, a podcast about sports and all its being. I am your host, Evan Greenberg. For today's episode, it's just me and my co-host, you know him as the King of Jordan, Sammy Oshawabke. Sammy, how are you today? Doing all right. How you doing? Doing well. Happy Monday to everyone. Hope you had a great weekend. And we finally finished our draft stuff. Our last episode was the Kansas City Chiefs episode on Friday. You can check that one out. And if you missed your team for whatever reason, if you're just tuning into us for the first time or you're just a little bit behind, you come in recently, go back and you can listen to your NFL team's draft grades. Now we got some more interesting topics to talk about now that you know things have changed in the world since the draft. Yeah, and with this topic, which if you obviously read the title of the episode, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, both in our lives and in sports. There's so many caveats that I want to give. However, I feel like that alone would take half an hour, and I really don't want to do that. I want to just kind of be straightforward about it. Yeah. I mean, it's not an easy topic to talk about in terms of, well, neither of us were black, so. No, I'm a very, I come from a very white, pretty segregated area, Long Island, New York. Not, I was born in New York City, but raised basically my entire life, Long Island, incredibly sheltered, very hot, very, very small African-American population. There were essentially two African-American kids in my entire grade for the most part. Some kids would identify, but I'm not totally sure, but it was a very, very small percentage. And my graduating class had at least 600 kids and maybe a handful were black. Yeah, I came pretty similar as you, but a small uh, Arab family in the middle of Franklin, Massachusetts, where I think there was maybe one or two African-Americans in my class, despite having a class of 500 going from high school. So from you could tell from our experiences, we don't have a lot. However, it doesn't mean our opinions are, are any less on the situations going on. And we're not against anything happening, as far as I know, at least from my side. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I am for, I'm just going to speak for myself. I don't really want to speak for you. I don't believe that's fair. But I am 100% for the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that it has entailed before the last month or so, and including since then. All the protests, I tried to have conversations with people about the even the rioters and all the repercussions and circumstances regarding that and everything that's gone on since. Also, I've been for everyone that posts pretty much every single thing that they posted, whether it's informational, about an old news, new news, way to make change. I am 100% about it. But this podcast for me is it's trying to hold myself accountable because this is really the first time I'm making a public statement of any sort. On my personal social media accounts, I have not done anything in that regard up to this point. Neither have I, and we've spoken about a couple trends that have come out in the past, uh, privately, not not on the podcast, and how, you know, there are probably more effective ways of actually helping than than just a simple post. And I feel like this is way more effective method than than that. Yeah, well, that was in regards to the Blackout Tuesday post, where everyone of my friends basically on Instagram had their black screen. However, most a lot of them have not done anything since, and. I for me those all the social media stuff if it's just a post on their own thing it's a blanket statement it doesn't mean anything I understand what they're trying to say but you're not doing anything and but I can't say I've been any better because honestly I might have been worse I've read the stuff that people have sent but like I said I haven't really done any super digging my own I've had conversations with people in my own life my parents my friends that I that I can see usually on walks and runs but I haven't confronted it in a way that. I probably should be. I'm definitely lacking in that regard. Yeah, I've done a little bit more, I guess. I've I've helped out a couple friends. They they started, well they didn't start. They were been promoting a couple of significant charities to to donate to. And I've donated a little bits here and there just just, you know, postgrad student working just trying to donate a little bit to help out even though like my voice has been pretty silent on social media as well but you know just just trying to help as much as i can Uh, i've been lacking all around i've haven't 
I mean, for me, my financials are a little more difficult because I'm unemployed. So the only money I'm collecting is unemployment. However, most of that is going towards my future with I'm trying to get out of Long Island, which, as I mentioned, very segregated. I think I saw something that we're the sixth most segregated area in the entire country. And that doesn't surprise me because we were the typical white flight in the 1940s and 50s post-World War II where all the white families wanted to get out of New York City after the war. And then they all came here and really did not allow people of color to move in of any groups. And now it's starting to change somewhat. However, African-Americans, as you can tell, are still clearly lacking within the school districts. And I got to say that I've seen a lot from my school, a lot of people that I went to school with, a little younger, a little older, a lot of pushback against the school, whether it's their lack of diversity hiring, whether it's their lack of diversity curriculum and how we all came out in our We were in our super bubble and then we went to college and that's where most of us learn. Not everybody, obviously. You still have the people who haven't grown out of it, unfortunately, and don't see past their naive ways. There, but there's been a lot more pressure on the schools themselves to be held more accountable. I I agree 100%. I mean, similar to you, I, like I mentioned, I came from Franklin, Massachusetts, where I believe by the time my family moved here from, from Louisiana, it was still maybe like 95, 96% white, just white alone. And then I believe the rest were either uh, Portuguese because there's a huge Portuguese community in Southern Mass and Rhode Island that there's just a huge small pocket and it's spread a little bit into Massachusetts. Not saying it's spread like you know, negatively, but it's more so that there really isn't, if you were, it was either white or nothing pretty much in, in Franklin. And I believe that's changed now as it, growing year in year out i believe that it's now i think i think asian has taken over as the second minority as or like the main the main minority at five percent i think white is now 90 but it's not something that you would learn we would learn about in our schools too like when we had just not too long ago the juneteenth i learned more of that in high, in college than i did in high school and i think yeah. that that was that's a significant topic that probably should have been taught about in high school and i mean history at the time of high school wasn't usually my favorite subject i love learning about history on my own i don't recall a single moment of hearing about juneteenth during high school me too i'm in the same bout as you i wasn't a history kid in high school now i'm much more interested in learning about it on my own and i completely agree that was a big event that we never talked about like we talked about 19, 1865, the end of Civil War, the end of slavery, Emancipation Proclamation, whatever. But we never knew the specific dates because they weren't important because that's what the white curriculum wanted you to know. And another one that I've heard talked about more recently are the Tulsa race riots in the 1920s, which I had, I think I had listened to maybe a podcast about them. I want to say some part of the How Stuff Works Network. They had an episode that I listened to a while back. But I was listening to the Winging It podcast. It was Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, and Pete Carroll. And they were talking about how Andre Iguodala was informing Steve Kerr about it and how we just never, no one really knew about it. We're, as white people, we've been incredibly, I don't want to say ignorant, but naive in how we've taken the step to learn more about Black history and Black culture and understand it for what it is. And that's, it's not a sympathy aspect, although I'm sure for some people it is, but it's the truthful understanding of the history that Blacks in our country have gone through since the, not even the founding of the United States of America, the founding really of the 13 colonies, when we had the whole slave trade and just everything that's gone on since, how for hundreds of years, the education wasn't equal and education, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm in the education field, but that's such a vital part of being able to move on in society. And if most, like, it's not, I'm, there's no one even fault, but if you're, in, were an African-American, especially in the South, you probably, if you were in a school, you weren't getting an education better than a third or fourth grade level for the most part. And then you're expected to be an active, productive member of society. And that's essentially impossible. Yeah. I mean, going back to the, the Tulsa uh, mass massacre, 
Uh, I that was one I heard of briefly and maybe a podcast or two like a few years ago, but it was still not even the main talking point of that episode. There's so many moments in our history that we don't really recognize that much. I mean, like like I said about the Juneteenth, many states are trying to make it like a state holiday now. Well, okay, how come it's a state holiday in 2020? But it's been like this for how many decades? Now is when they decide is they want to make it a, a state holiday. With the education aspect, it's it's like imagine saying that, you know, all right, civil war ended, slaves are free. That's it. Black people, black African American, all the they're the same as white. No, nothing went wrong in the next 150 years. Nothing, you know, it's just that simple. And the only other times where they really talk about, you know, African-Americans in, in high schools, pretty much during the civil rights movement with MLK and anything before that isn't really talked about. So I agree with you completely about the education really lacking there in trying to explain, you know, there are certain moments in our history that we try to promote to teach when it comes to kids. And then there are a lot that we try to hide as if like it's negative. They don't want to bring it to light because it's going to take away of how great America was or something like that, as our great president likes to say. And it's funny you bring up the Martin Luther King discussion and how that's the one thing we learned. Even that we've learned incorrectly. We thought about Martin Luther King as an only peace guy. He did all these peaceful protests. He walked through. He just marched. He maybe said some things that were all peaceful and about unity and equality, and nobody stopped him, and there was no resistance, and people let them do it. Because there were a lot of posts from people trying to resist, comparing the 2020 riots to the 1968 protests, and being like, oh, this is how you protest, talking about the 1968. It's like a walk down or in the 1960s, like someone peacefully walking down the street and like, this is how you nod. And it was like some depiction of like one looter, but that's just doesn't even accurately depict what was going on. Then there were plenty of violent protests. There was plenty of rioting and things like that. And it's part, it's necessary. It's part of the greater upheaval. You've seen a lot of now people saying, Oh, we're cool with peaceful protests. But when we were trying to do the peaceful protest with Trayvon Martin, when we were trying to do it with Eric Gardner, when we were trying to do it, with all these other issues that have happened before 2020, with George Floyd seemingly being the straw that broke the camel's back, there was nothing. When people tried to do peaceful protests, they said it was ridiculous. Everyone just tries to continually push back instead of moving forward and progressing. And that's what I don't understand about so many people in our society. Yeah, especially when with the Kaepernick movement, when all he did was he kneeled. And a former... Marine, I believe it was a former Marine who told him to do that. Yeah. He he told him that he Kaepernick should kneel when they do the national anthem with respect to the flag in the sense that something like this needs to be brought up to the national stage, to the national national attention. And the countless number of times it's been deflected from the main goal itself. And how, you know, he was kneeling to raise awareness, to understand that, you know, Black Lives Matter, that these people are, are dying and there's no, you know, repercussion. There's no, there's no one's being held accountable, despite more and more Black people being killed. And from that, to go from that's where we are now, and it's, they wish that they could go back to Kaepernick's protest and that was the more okay thing. Instead, what they keep doing, and as they keep doing now, they keep deflecting it, saying that, oh, you're disrespecting the flag. Okay, it had nothing to do with the flag. It's about black people are dying more and more in America. Okay, but you can do that without disrespecting the flag. Well, it's, again, it's not about the flag. It's about the message. Why are you not focusing on what the message is about? <laughs> because they don't want to, because they're these are ignorant people who don't want to face the truth. They don't want to understand that they like things the way they were. It's, they're called conservatives for a reason, because they are conservative about the way things are, and they do not like change. Unfortunately, change is inevitable, and change is usually, at least in a society like ours, for the better. As At least the major changes. There's obviously smaller changes that have happened that end up going back the other way. However, like 
2016 election. But for the most part, there is forward progress. It is positive. I'm just thinking back to the 2013 when gay marriage was a hot topic and was made legal in the United States. And that was a huge, there was a lot of blowback there. And that was before the tensions got even higher. And that was with a group of people that haven't truly been pushed against for the entire building blocks of America's society. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about American history, there's not even a single mention about the LGBT community and how they've progressed, which, I mean, I know it's more of a, a recent term thing, and I, I feel like most history books don't really go into that recent, but they still had some history that you don't learn about at all. And it goes back to, like we mentioned, education, that there's so much that they just choose to not include in the curriculum and not even the curriculum. Like teachers, they're only given what their books give them as well sometimes. And a lot of the books are pretty outdated and the newer edition ones tend to skip over these topics still. And there's also the important thing to remember with our textbooks, how they're essentially all made in one place. And that is also in the middle of Texas, which is not particularly known for progressivism in our society. And oh, that's true. <laughs> I want to just do, I want to do a couple minutes just going on the other side, because it's not just about black people dying. It's about who they're falling victim to and why. And it's particularly unjust. And it's at the hands of usually people on the police force. It's also just whites like Ahmad Arbery was just a couple people in his town who saw a guy running and decided to shoot him down. But a lot of the issue and a lot of this recent pushback has been against the police force. And personally, I am all for reformation of the system. Going back to how everything's kid in our society, police forces in general, and mil- mil- they're, very, they're way too militaristic. And I think that's what a lot of the defunding the police is about. It's not that we want to get rid of policemen. It's that way too much money goes to them. Way too much money goes into weaponry and having those physical means to stop people in super violent ways, which aren't necessary. They're overworked. They're not meant for the roles that they've been given. And they, they want, they should be policing things, not being the head honcho and the enforcer. They're just the ones that protect the people. They're not supposed to be enforcing and taking over. And they, they've become too much. They've become too powerful, not even in regards to the unions itself, but the individual policemen have too much power. And that's what the whole defunding the police movement is. This is why, and it's, there's going to be racist cops no matter what. I'm not deflect, I'm not attacking individual cops themselves. I know most of them, a lot of them go in for it for the right reasons, but the system's just wrong. It's same with the jet, with our jailing system. It's just, it's based on targeting African-Americans, much more violence by cops are done to African-Americans, plenty of them unnecessarily as we've come to see. So within just people like Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, George Floyd, and so many others that they've just been unjustly murdered by policemen who've had a rush of power and decide that minor infractions of law or no infractions of the law determine or should be decided by them whether the person lives or dies. And that is the biggest issue. I think the problem I have with the phrase defund the police, I am all for it. The problem is, I think what really hurts that phrase from really getting a lot of traction is the fact that they say defund as opposed to reallocate that money. I feel like when people say defund the police, like I had to explain to family members who when they read, they heard defund the police, you know, as we, you and I, we both know what they're actually, the movement actually means, and that it's that they want to reallocate that money that's used into giving these police unjustly amount of military aid and using it more in the public sense, like, you know, community centers, uh, the uh, teachers, schools, things more to improve the community aspect. In fact, the fact that it says defund makes people afraid that, oh, so we're just going to get rid of police altogether. That's not the case at all. And I feel like defund was, I don't know, the word to either get controversy with the movement so that people start talking about it, or if it was just a poor choice of words. But it's all about reallocating that money because, let's face it, Franklin 
who has maybe the most controversial thing has happened here in terms of needing the police has been either a bear showing up to one of our parks or like finding a lost wallet. Like you don't need heavy grade military assault rifles and equipment and armor to help someone find their lost wallet. It's not something that I feel that is one that needs to be fun. I mean, from a military, from, from the peak, when we talk about police all the way up to the military in terms of where, how this is being spent, nothing needs to be spent as much as they are. And I feel that, you know, this country, especially our presidents have this sort of pride in the fact that we show how strong we are and we have all these advanced technology and everything, but not using it for the right cause exactly. And, and it's just having that unjust level of, you know, you know, you have these people who most times aren't exactly that stable. You know, they, they, I would say, I would agree to the statement that they would have tough, they're probably one of the toughest jobs to endure. But then when you think about it more and more, depending where you live and where you experience, it really isn't. I've seen, you know, I come from the engineering side. So I come from the construction world. And I see way more incidences, way more different level of that's more challenging, more endearing and more dangerous. And there are a lot more of their lives at stake in terms of whether it's just iron welding or being a carpenter or being a lumberjack and tearing down trees. You would think that's just a simple thing, but I've seen so many injuries when it comes to that. I It's, it's these jobs that when they say that the police, they need the equipment to you know, protect themselves and, you know, be protecting the public. They're not protecting the public. They're just protecting themselves in some cases. And it's unfortunate that we see that in these cases that it's all police. Like you don't see the public doing anything for the most part. I know there's been one or two, in few instances here and there of, you know, someone going out and killing someone. But the common trend has been, it's been the police that's been doing these acts and it's just not right. I, you know, I try to spend all week, all last week, we've been talking about we wanted to record this for a while. And no matter how much time I try to give myself, there's just no right amount of words I can say that can truly express how unjust this whole situation is. Yeah, this is a very difficult conversation to truly articulate in the way that we are and trying to have a back and forth conversation. There's a few things that I wanted to mention because you talked about the real reallocating funds and that's a good way to think about it because going back to education, going into the engineering side and talking about housing, those are the things that we should be spending more money on. It shouldn't be the police. It shouldn't be military. Those aren't the greater necessaries to fill the basic needs and provide healthy living and prosperity for all lives, especially black lives, but all lives need to be improved and those are the fun those are the ways we need to fix them start with the homeless start with the hungry start with the people who, the youth who need to be taught properly and that's really where we need to make our biggest move and i also just want to say that like you i've definitely not been perfect on it not even recently just my entire life i've definitely said things maybe that i shouldn't said not in a derogatory way towards anyone specific but i've been like i said i've been very cultured so you don't understand that there should be repercussions just one personal example i remember in eighth grade one of the first units we were talking about the civil war and we had this it was like a discussion about slavery and i'm given i've just turned 13 years old i don't really know what i'm talking about and in my joking way i'm saying we should bring slavery back but I didn't even mean it in like, oh, African-Americans should be slaves. It was more just like me being stupid. However, if there was someone in my class who was African-American, who had family who was in slavery, they would have been so appalled by that. And it's taken me all this time in my life to realize how dumb I was. And given most 13-year-olds are dumb. However, something like that is just so stupid to me. And like, it's there's just things like that. And there's other examples. I went to a camp that was... 99% Jewish, everyone white, and things that were said there that should never be said by any human being, not even just about black people, about every single type, group of people, even Jewish people. 
there, you just have to, we have to be smarter and we have to be better just within our own lives, personally talking to others within our community and at the world at large. And if you, I want to see if you have anything lastly you want to add, because I want to go through a long list of resources that I want to list out for our listeners. Yeah. I, I wanted to add that, you know, you mentioned about like our communities and we are so into, uh, not intertwined, but we're so sucked in into our communities that we feel that it's okay to say these things because we are aware of who's inside our community and they understand the, that it's okay for them to hear it because they are, they know what we, they know us and we know them and everybody in the community knows each other. And that there's sort of like, you know, level of not comfortable, but stuff hidden that you don't want if someone else were to come by and listen to what that community is saying. I'm not saying from like a high school level or like a 13 year old level. I just mean in general communities, there are things said in communities that they will say like, this can only stay here. And if you're not from this community, you won't understand it or you'll take it the wrong way. And that just hurts the movement. And that if you're not open to being progressive and being able to change the way it is, because like you mentioned with conservatives, they don't like change a lot. And this is something that they've been really hard fighting that it, they don't want to change the way it is at the moment. And to hear something like that is ridiculous given how many people have died and they still say yeah it's fine it's the situation the the system is good we don't need to change the system i've been protected so it's been working for me so i don't care for anyone else and that's just scary and like you mentioned within like your own uh jewish community hearing things like that i mean from my side the arab community is no better and what really sucks is that when you go to most Middle Eastern countries, like, like, luckily, Jordan hasn't had an issue like this, that much of an issue. There are still cases of, like, you'll see less more on African-American, but more on, like, Southern Asian, and you'll see them as more, like, uh, houseworkers and maids and things like that, more so than actually treated as actual workers in, in most of these countries. And, in fact... I just wanted to share one quick story of one of my coworkers who, and I've seen this a lot too, when I would visit uh, these countries. So my coworker, she's from Ghana and she, from one of my previous co-ops, um, she, she went to Dubai as like a two week thing before going visiting family in, uh, in Ghana. And when she arrived, on her first day after getting to the hotel and everything, the manager of the hotel handed her a mop. Didn't recognize that she was a, an actual customer. She, they just looked at her skin and just assumed that, oh, so you're one of the workers. Here's a mop and go join the others over there. And it's like, how can you get that ignorant to think that just because someone has different skin than you means that they're lesser than you? And that they shouldn't be treated with the same respect as someone who has the same skin as you. They didn't even choose to acknowledge that, you know, maybe she could be wealthy, she could be well-educated. And that's the problem. It does, it comes to show that no matter how much, you know, you make, no matter how well-educated you are, ultimately, you're going to get judged and denounced for whatever you do just by the color of your skin. And that's just not right. You hit the nail on the head right there. It's, it's such a terrible story. And it's not, you just heard one story, but that I'm sure that happens all across the state, all across the country, all across the world. There are so many issues along those lines that need to be fixed. And you said it's the selfish is a good word. There's too many selfish individuals, too many selfish groups. There needs to be more love, more inclusivity, more positivity, and more willing to help others. And I wanted to give a list of a bunch of different between donation areas, resources for learning, between books, posts. If you're one of those people who wants to take that first step and wants to learn more, if I, I'm going to be doing a lot of these things, learning up. I have one in particular that I'm going to be starting right about now as you're listening to this podcast that you can use. So a couple of charities you can donate to. If Like Sammy, you don't really have the time but you have the money, 
some the Black Lives Matter website, the Bell Project, the Liberty Fund, Campaign Zero, just name a few. There are many more that you can look up that either some of them are local grassroots, some of them will help more on a national scale. So there's some of those. Some learning resources. On Instagram, there's a couple ones that I've seen that were interesting. Uh, the first one, it's called 15 Steps to Non-Optical Allyship. If you look up Merrily Sharper, M-I-R-E-L-L-I-E-C-H-A-R-P-E-R. If you go to her profile, you'll be able to see this post. Another one on Instagram by Guap Mag, G-U-A-P-M-A-G, is 10 Black community groups you can support, whether that's donate or help out. On Twitter, one you can find by Trader Josephine is what, do you, what to do if you can't donate right now. Like I said, that's, that's just more information stuff couple more from the website medium 75 things white people can do for racial injustice so someone like me in particular and then the case for reparations on the atlantic by tenehisi coates who also i read his book we had eight years of power it was about barack obama's eight years incredible book would recommend that one as well he's an amazing author of really anything so i would read the case for reparations read any anything from him because he's just he's great um, going into the book life, I got a bunch. I got Natives by Alaka, Dark Days by James Baldwin, White Supremacy and Me by Layla F. Saud, Your Silence Will Not Protect You by Audrey Lord, Lard, and then an audiobook, the one that I'm going to be starting, that thanks, shout out to No Dunks and Jay Skeets in particular for not talking about this one. So Stamp from the Beginning, it's on Spotify, it's an audiobook. And you can check. They also have the physical copy if you want to check that one out. So that's the one that I'm going to be starting with. That'll get more back into the history of race relations and how the suppression of African-Americans in society has allowed it to succeed. Some audio or video. Angela Davis on intersectional anti-racism. 1619 by the New York Times. Code Switch by NPR. Those are just a couple. There are more you can find on YouTube, I'm sure, different podcasts, plenty of that have been doing specifically Black Lives Matter things. Some people and organizations to follow, the NAACP, the EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative, Color of Change, Color, yeah, Color of Change, Black Visions, The Great Unlearn, and The Black Curriculum. Those are just some of the many, and you can do your own research. Find whichever one appeals to you, whether, like I said, it's locally, it's nationally, if it's a book, if it's an online resource, whatever it is, just do whatever you can to make yourself better and to be more informed and be aiding to the Black Lives Matter movement. I would also just want to quickly add, I would also recommend the Malcolm X autobiography. That is an incredible read and a good show of, you know, it, it's not necessarily peaceful, despite things looking like they should be peaceful. I read his biography a couple of years ago, actually, not the autobiography, but I read one of the biographies about him and it was really great, really good book. I would say that's a good good thing to check out as well. Anything else you wanted to add? Um, just don't stop. I mean, I, I don't think we mentioned at the beginning why we're doing this now as opposed to a few weeks ago, but you would think that there is, you know, a sense of the, the riots and the protests slowing down, as we've seen in the past that, you know, after a couple of weeks, things go quiet and things go back to normal. But no, there's still protests going on after a few weeks since the George Floyd incident. There's still, you know, many protests. It wasn't like, I want to say a few days ago, they, the Atlanta highway basically got shut down full of protesters on it. So it's something to just keep going. You know, you don't want to you don't want to just be like, all right, this happened and then move on. You want to make sure that change happens and that we're not going away. Yeah. If you think we are too late on this, I understand we are. It's, it's been several weeks, but we also figure it's not too late. We want to keep pushing forward. As Sammy said, keep making change. It's not a fad. It's a movement. It's a lifestyle change and not just for our lifestyles, for our parents, lifestyles, our future children's lifestyles, grandchildren, so on and so forth. We can be the time, we can be the generation that makes the change, and we should be fighting for that and should be working as best we can to make the world a better place for black black people living in America and really anybody living in America. That's all for me. All right. So that's kind of ours. 
if you want to converse with us further about this isn't going to be the end i mean we have more of this episode but in terms of personal stuff and going on the world around us this will not be the first and only episode we do and we're not going to keep it super frequent we don't want this this is a sports podcast first and foremost however we felt this was a necessary thing to discuss and we will have future episodes kind of highlighting everything going on in the world further and if you want to get in touch with us I'll put it here and I'll put it at the end of the podcast. If you don't really, if this is what you want to hear, not the sports stuff, you can email us anything at grassfit2020 at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at grassfit2020, Instagram, grassfit2020, Facebook, firmly grassfit. Now on to a more lighter subject, I would say. Slightly. We wanted to kind of combine this episode, what we've done so far, and what we do as a podcast, which is sports. We are not totally sticking to sports, but now we're want to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement in regards to sports. So we're going to get into what's gone on because U.S. sports haven't really begun yet, but around the world sports have happened. So we want to discuss the initiatives that have been taken elsewhere. And then we're going to speculate what we expect may happen in the U.S. when baseball, basketball, football, if they do return when they return, what will happen in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and what changes will be made to support and what opportunities will be given for players and coaches in the league to really make an impact so as for everyone who's listened to this soccer is my number one sport and i've been following pretty much every league in the world that has come back you know the italian league Serie A, the bundesliga german league english premier league just came back this past week and you know it started off with you know, before before the move Black Lives Movement started again during these times, you know, they would just have, you know, a moment of silence before for all the victims of the virus as they returned back to their games. And now be, before every game, at least I don't know when they're going to stop. I don't know if it's a one game system. And by the by next week, they're just going to revert back to their traditional methods. But they've been holding another moment of silence. Uh, for the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, as well as every player's name on the back of their shirts being replaced with the phrase Black Lives Matter. So if you are someone who, you know, likes to watch but don't know these people's names and you want to say, oh, number nine, it's he met. Oh, it's his Black Lives Matter. It was the trying to sh- have a, a movement trying to show that, you know, everyone is the same. And that no one person is worth more over the other. And they're all equal. And I mean, personally, there's not more they can, the players can do. I mean, the players have been donating. The players have been pushing. Every time some players score, they do the 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 fist celebration, hand on one knee, fist in the air celebration. And, you know, they're taking in their pride and their, you know, their heritage, where they came from and showcasing it and, Trying to, trying to promote more charities and you know honestly the premier league has done a decent job the only problem with the premier league and the only problem with these movements is the countries they're in that also kind of regulate how some of their sports go so england it took a bit for them to promote that due to some you know boris johnson is their leader so they they weren't exactly they had some setbacks at first italy was not bad italy has handled it nicely given to i've shown Evan long time ago how Italy has tried to tackle racism and this was like back in like October where one of their stars or one of the star players in Inter Milan Lukaku who's who he's Belgian but from with Congo descent and you know he was being whistled and heckled at and thrown bananas at and whistled and booed uh Monkey gestures were thrown at him when they were playing away at a at a certain team. I think it was Cagliari. And he made a statement saying, you know, black people shouldn't be traded these ways. African people shouldn't be treated these ways. And they brushed it off in Italy saying it's not as big of an issue as the rest of the north of Europe. And then also they had a movement saying that, you know, we're going to have a poster. And on these posters, we're going to have a monkey. We're going to have a monkey who's a bit whitish with blue blue eyes to, you know, signify white people. We'll have a monkey with 
more of uh, squintish eyes, as much as I hate saying that phrase, and a little more lighter skin to signify Asians and their community. And then they just had a regular monkey for the African community. Like, come on, come on, you kidding me? So they've, they're slowly working their way up in, in, in Europe, but it's just not enough. No matter how much they do, it's... It's the most they can do on the field, but it's still not enough they can do off the field. Yeah, Italy's had its long, also tenuous history with racism. And soccer's had a lot of issues with racism in sports because that is one of the few sports that has been predominantly white. And African-Americans have not even, or just black people, not African-Americans, because we're not talking about America. But they have struggled with acceptance into the world especially by fans and soccer fans are considered some of the most rowdy and rambunctious and from there there's been a lot of just leeway into just explicit racism and for a while that has been accepted lately there's fortunately been some pushback pushback and you kind of went into that well with the Bundesliga that was the first league that was already going on before everything started originally there were just a couple individual things people would take off their shirt with something that would say no justice, no peace or for love George Floyd or whatever it was. Now we have a lot of those no peace, no justice shirts and then the knee takings and then black lives matter armbands. And in the premier league, as you said, they had the black lives matter on all their jerseys for the first few games. And then plenty of players are also doing the kneeling stands. So that's, and that's pretty much been it for around the world. There's obviously the Korean baseball league, but I couldn't tell you what they're doing. And I kind of doubt they're doing anything. I think the Vietnamese soccer league was going on too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's kind of revert back to us sports because we've had golf, but golf is more individualized. There hasn't been too much of that, but it seems like us sports are coming back. Baseball has had some major progress this past week where it looks like we're getting a 60-game season. Basketball has their plans coming back. And football, they haven't said too much, but I'm in full belief that both NFL and college football will return just because there's way too much money involved. Which sport do you want to start off with and what you're, which one are you most curious about of how they're going to approach the Black Lives Matter movement? I am the most curious about the NFL. I want to see, I mean, I, I just want to give out a couple quick mental reasons to why uh, they're the most interesting one. And then I want to hear what you have to say about it. Um, I think the reason why this is the most interesting one is because, you know, I mentioned the Colin Kaepernick movement and pretty much he got shunned out by pretty much the entire NFL. Like no owner was considering giving him a tryout, even though you could say that he was better than some of the trash starting quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I know at this point, you know, he hasn't played football in a few years, but his ability and talent was still better than a decent number of the starting quarterbacks in the league. And he definitely could have been playing better than, you know, the worst of the worst. And a lot of league owners just refused to go his way because they did not want to deal with the headache that they would, I hate to say headache, but you know it that they were gonna they were calling it a headache that he was gonna bring to their organization. And I wanna see how they're gonna react now, knowing that well, Kaepernick was right. I wanna see if they still hold on to their judgment or if they they uh change because there was the whole political thing with, with Pence as well, going to that Colts game, Vice President Pence. And they kneeled and then he walked out. So I they it's been heavily political when it comes to this topic and not for the right reasons. So I want to hear what you have to say about that. You're on the now with that. It is my, the one I'm most curious about because of the political history, the fact that the original, as you mentioned, the Colin Kaepernick movement came from this. And I just, Colin Kaepernick, I've been a fan of him since he was at Nevada. I watched, I was at the Jets 49ers game that year that he broke out. It was a game that the 49ers were blowing them out. And he came in towards the end of that game and was incredibly impressive right away. He is a guy that should have been in the league 100% for the last several years. We know he was blackballed. They had the settlement in court. And now there's a lot of pandering, but he still hasn't been signed. And he's still better than plenty of at least the backup quarterbacks in the league. If 
you get him into a team, maybe he competes for a starting spot. I don't know where he is at this point because it's been so long, but it shouldn't be this long. He should have been in the league the last few years. It shouldn't have become an issue. So that is my thoughts on that. I'm curious less about the political aspects, though. I'm more curious about how the owners are going to react. We've heard a lot from players. The players have been very united for the most part. We had the Drew Brees issue with the entire, basically, Saints roster jumping on top of him immediately and then him sort of backtracking because, as you mentioned earlier, he was someone that took the whole defund the police, Black Lives Matter, and made it about the flag. As you said, it wasn't. And he at least says he's learned. I'm not... You can't say for sure because it hasn't been that long. I'm sure he's remorseful because of now he might he didn't want to alienate his entire team, which is understandable. But I'm curious because the owners, we know there's owners are pretty much all white. Sad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, has come out and said that he's dealt with racism in the U.S. basically his entire life. And he's not African-American. He's just a minority. He is Middle Eastern, correct? I believe so. Yeah. And there are no African-American owners, I believe, which is a big issue because the power of the top. And we know we had the Texans owner a few years ago make the comment about keeping... He's Pakistani. He's Pakistani. We had the Texans owner talk about basically keeping the in my it's in, which very much alluded to their large... They have a large African-American population as a bunch of athletes, but none of the higher-ups do. And the owners have been very mum on the situation so far where the NBA, a few owners have come out. A lot of the coaches have, and a lot of some of the coaches in the NFL have come out, but it's been a lot quieter than it should be. And I'm willing to see if the NFL's players are going to put pressure on the management or if they're going to put up a front and pretend because Goodell's kind of been wishy-washy. He said he supports them now, but then he got the backlash from Trump and now he hasn't really said anything since he kind of stood his ground, but I don't trust Goodell 100% on that either. So I am definitely curious to see if real money and real effort will be put into creating a platform for the players to send, spread their message because they are the most popular sport. But they we also know they have a decent contingency of fans who are very against the movement, unfortunately. They were against it then, and they're likely going to be against it now. So money is always the main priority. So we'll see if the owners put money where their mouth should be or if they keep their mouth shut. Yeah, especially when you look at some of the owners. I mean, w- once we hit the NBA, we'll talk about a couple ones there. But the Texans one, that was just a bad. I don't know how you can just say that, not expecting anything and not expecting any backlash for what you could say. Like, I feel like I just want to know when it comes to when someone makes these sort of statements, do they think in their head that it's okay to say these things it's one thing to feel it and it's one thing that okay maybe he genuinely believes that but doesn't want to say that but then they just flat out say it and that always confused me is there no like social awareness or do you just not care because you're an owner and they should listen to you regardless is what they're thinking guys are incredibly sheltered they have all the privilege in the world as we talked about they have so much money and they know that people, some of their fans were agreeing with them. And I'm sure people were outraged, but they didn't lose money. And that's the problem where these owners and higher ups aren't held accountable for the things they said. And I'm hoping that's what starts to change is that either being totally negatively outspoken or just not being positively outspoken, there begins to have a change within the NFL. As the next sport, I want to talk about the NBA, where there has been a lot more progress in the last few years, and especially recently. Yeah, I mean, given by the... Oh, uh, I just had the name in my head. Sterling? Donald Is that Sterling. his name? Yeah. Yep. The, the Clippers, the former Clippers owner, at least. And, you know, with his statements that he made and how it blew up to his face that he basically, you know, had to sell if he wanted to make sure he didn't lose any value on the team. And luckily, I want to say Balmer has done a done a solid job not being racist, owning the Clippers, would you say? <laughs> yeah, he's good. And there's been some that have been much more outspoken, Mark Cuban in particular. Our Mark boy Cuban's Cuban. a real guy, man. I You can't discredit anything about him. He is the realest man on this planet. And he just says it the way it is, and it's always facts. It's always right. 
Yeah, he was one of the first ones to come out against it. He was one of the first ones during the COVID movement to promise that he was going to pay his employees. He's very progressive in all the positive ways. And the NBA also has a commissioner with a positive attitude towards change and progressivism and activism, which is Adam Silver, fortunately. He, going back a little bit in history, you had when the LeBron James and was it the Miami Heat? They were wearing the I Can't Breathe shirts. Yeah. Yeah, that was 2014. So it was the last year of the Heat. And he was totally, the league was totally in support of that. When Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, Adam Silver said they were allowed to protest during the national anthem in any way they want. Fortunately, the commissioner has been more progressive and he allows the players to have more of a voice. And with LeBron being the leader, there has been a lot more. You've seen so many NBA players doing protests, starting initiatives, and very being much on top of it. So I'm excited to see what they can do. I know there's been some questions. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, in particular, had a lot of questions about, will they really be able to promote their platform if the playoffs come back? I believe they will. There will be some way that the players, the coaches, because unfortunately there is a lot of more coaches in the NBA compared to the NFL that are African-American. There is certainly some diversity issue, but it is nowhere near to the extent that the NFL is with the Rooney rule that is basically a joke. So the NBA will likely do more. I'm hoping to see them do a lot. They basically, living doing in the bubble in Orlando, they have complete freedoms to essentially do whatever they want. And I expect a lot of the messages that aren't directly on the court will involve the Black Lives Matter movement, which is how it should be. I just did a quick search. It was Cavaliers Nets in 2014. So I guess it was his first year back in in Cleveland okay. when he made that statement. There was also, I believe there was something with, maybe it was, a, it was the Trayvon Martin stuff in Miami. That was it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, being in Florida yeah. itself, that, that was a huge... Yeah, LeBron I, was very much on top of that. The only thing that I have with, with the NBA is it's not against the NBA itself. It's the people's response to the NBA. And like we've seen with the NFL, you know, the people responded against Kaepernick when he they took it as he's, you know, criticizing the flag and how they counter it with that. In the NBA, they are basically saying that, oh, because they didn't stand strong when it came to being against China. Therefore, their movements when it comes to any activism is not really strong at all. I feel like. Just because they like, so you you know the whole LeBron thing against with the Hong Kong and they basically he basically uh, apologized and said that China he basically not committed but he fell back on some of the things he was saying about the Hong Kong movement and was more promoting the other side of it because well China has a huge probably a bigger market in basketball than America at times. If not all the time. It feels like so long ago. I can't believe it was the beginning of this past NBA season that the whole Daryl Morey tweeting in support of the uprising kind of protest movement and then the backlash towards the NBA, LeBron pretty much being sort of pro-Chinese government but being also not very noncommittal because, as you mentioned, money kind of rules all and they have, China is a huge NBA market. So that was a whole debacle and that is nothing compared to what it is now. Fortunately, though, I feel like the faction of NBA fans who are against all this stuff is much smaller than the NFL due to one race demographics and also age demographics that it is generally trending younger for NBA fans where NFL fans are older on the spectrum and older in our society tends to be more conservative, which is kind of understandable with if you think about developmental psychology and everything like that. But yeah, so the NBA, I'm not as worried about. Or the NFL, there are a lot more question marks. I just don't think it's right to say, okay, this is this was most of their stance in the China Chinese situation. Therefore, you know, their movements when it comes to Black Lives Matter is not as strong. And it's, come on. <laughs> no, that's not legitimate. Life doesn't work that way. <laughs> but I, I understand people being upset with them not making it. If you are against kind of the Chinese government and what they do to their people. I understand hoping that there'd be more backlash, but there that isn't as directly affected. And you can argue that it doesn't matter, that we should be activists for all people's lives. And to an extent, I'd agree. However, this one is more paramount to the players in the league. It is more of a personal cause. 
which is why there's much swifter, more direct, more passionate and personal advancements and attempt to push the move, continue to push the movement forward. And then the next sport, baseball. I don't really know too much what they're going to be doing. They're just, they just announced they're going to be coming back and having the 60 game season, but I haven't followed enough to actually see if they're going to be doing anything. All the attention has been towards the NFL and the NBA. And with the MLB more, the attention has been, are we going to have a season? MLB is such a debacle right now. I do not think there'll be much. One, there is a very, unlike the other two sports, there's a very small faction of the MLB players that are African-American. And there just hasn't been talk because there's been so much contentious talk within the players and the union and the league. And there's so much animosity with those two that I do not think they're worried about the Black Lives Matter movement, which is unfortunate. But that's, I don't expect too much. I, I, I'm not really interested in... I'm not too interested in what baseball is going to be at this point anyway. I'm much more excited for the end of the NBA and the and eventually the NFL. That one month, or no, we're not even going to really have any time now where baseball is going to be the only sport. And I'm okay with that because baseball has kind of ruined themselves and they're likely going to be a step behind despite... I mean, they're America's pastime and America's pastime is also racism. So it doesn't shock me that baseball is going to be behind on this they had the prime position to be the most watched event on tv in the last few months just due to no sports going on no basketball to counter them no hockey you know all those major demographics where those areas contribute they're non-existent and baseball i would say is probably the most distant sport out of all of them in terms of where they are on the field i know on base is a different question mark but they had the prime opportunity to be the most watched event being you know the only sport on tv and people are dying for sports to come back at times and they just fumbled it completely (laughs) and every single time they try to get closer they just fumble it even more yeah as i said it's a debacle it's an embarrassment mlb's failed themselves they failed their fans and they're just they're failing they're not this is not a step forward. Yes, they are. At least they're having some sort of season. However, 60 games, that's how long the, M- the NBA season is longer than that. And the NBA season normally is much shorter. It's, it's embarrassing. But there's one more sport that I want to talk about because it's kind of been going on. There's been a lot of talk about it in the news and due to the Black Lives Matter movement. And that is NASCAR, which is not a sport I'm particularly a fan of. There was a time maybe when I was in middle school that I was a Jeff Gordon fan, but Jeff Gordon's been out of nascar for a few years and i have not paid any attention to it since however it is a sport that is deep rooted in the south a lot of confederacy and racism that has protruded the sport and very few african-american drivers and the recent issues have been there was the removal of the confederate flags that are allowed in stadiums because up until a couple weeks ago you were allowed to bring a confederate flag to a nascar event and then this past week, there was the noose found near the I don't know, the area that Bubba Wallace was and his crew was working in. And Bubba Wallace is the only African-American driver at this point. And there was an investigation. The FBI ended up getting involved and they said that the noose had been there since October and was not intended for Wallace or anything like that. However, there was a lot of fortunate backing by a lot of at least the other drivers in NASCAR community towards Wallace and NASCAR itself has been trying to push for more change. However, the, as we've talked about kind of the fan bases of that sport, it's much different than the NBA. It's very Southern, very white and a lot of racists that follow and enjoy NASCAR and want to see their sport stay the way it was and don't like all these new pushes and new changes. I think the the Bubba Wallace situation and the movement that he's been pushing for has honestly been maybe the best response out of all the sports we've talked about. I mean, granted that it's it's one where we didn't expect it at all, but I feel like Bubba Wallace has done more for the Black Lives Matter movement than outside of Kaepernick, really anyone else in the NFL. And it's just strange how you see that demographic of, you know, how they went from being having Confederate flags banned to all of a sudden now you have pretty much every race car driver, barring a few who said that they're now going to retire because of the Confederate flag thing, which that's just, that's just stupid. 
Um, now, now they have basically the whole support of the NASCAR athletes themselves, the drivers themselves. And I think that's been more powerful than really anything the NBA or NFL has done. Obviously, you know, in the NBA and the NFL, that well, in the NBA at least, given the demographic of the players themselves, they were all together for the most part. And the NFL has been, you have some players who were pro and some players who were against Kaepernick's movement because they took it as against the flag as opposed to what the actual movement was. But I feel like someone like Bubba Wallace just came in. I mean, he's been there already, but he was in an environment where you don't think that this change will be progressive for them in the future. And to be able to gain the support of pretty much the entire sport itself let alone the fans. Obviously, there's going to be fans who are pro and against, but to have everybody on your side, I don't know if you saw that picture or that event where uh, the every all the other drivers were walking behind him as they were he was driving down the track. I did. That that I feel like is an incredibly emotionally powerful image. That I feel like if we do end up having textbooks updated regarding the subject, that one should definitely be on the cover of that. As we should. It's, Bubba Wallace has been incredibly courageous during this entire thing. We talked about the Kaepernick and how he was willing to take a stand. Bubba Wallace is similarly taking a stand. However, unlike as we talked about the NFL, which is a large black population of his players, Bubba Wallace, as I said, is the only black driver in NASCAR. He is all alone. And he has continually st- stood up for what's right. It hasn't just been in the last month or so. He has spoken out before against the racism that he's felt and the injustices he sees for African-American drivers. And he's been pushing for that change with some pushback, of course, as we've seen recently. But hopefully it continues to go and they continue to fight for drivers like him and that NASCAR can be a more inclusive sport because unfortunately, yes, most of the drivers have been in the forefront, but most of them are white. Most of them come from Southern areas that did not have to deal with African-Americans in their community or in their lives and probably drove with only white people, only other whites. And the system is, if I had to presume it is leans heavily in terms of making sure that white drivers become the best drivers. And that happens at a young age. And hopefully that continues to change. And that similar to where the NFL within the higher ranks needs to be, a more inclusive sport NASCAR on all levels needs to become more inclusive. Yeah, I agree. I just been, it's been amazing how much he has done compared to, you know, the other sports and it's, you know, maybe, maybe it'll get me. And I wasn't a huge NASCAR guy. I was more of a formula one fan, but you know, he's got a, he's got a fan in me and I'm probably gonna, you know, try to catch him when I can. Yeah. And for NASCAR itself, if they want to become a legitimate sport in the U.S., they, it be, needs to become on becoming inclusive because it is a niche sport because of who it attracts and who's involved. Making it inclusive and making everyone feel loved and welcomed and involved, just like our society, that's how we prosper. That's how you grow. And that's kind of my final message in this. The movement is about protecting those who need it. It is empowering those who need it and making the world a happier, safer, better place for those who need it, which in our situation right now are black lives and it needs to be continued to push forward until this is no longer a need, which is going to take a very long time. It's not going to happen this month, this year, probably not in our lifetime, but we got to keep pushing and make sure that it can happen and that we don't fall back to where we were. And the most important thing I think to take out of all of this is always the education always constantly learn you know don't just read one thing and then say all right i know everything about the subject keep reading keep listening keep watching keep doing everything learn about the subject as much as you can to even come one percent close to understand what it's like for an african african american in in this society because no matter how much information no matter how educated you are you'll just never fully understand because you've never been personally affected by it. But through proper learning and being able to empathize, sympathize, whichever one, I'm never good with that word. Um, you want to empathize. Empathize. Or just like, I'm sad for somebody. Empathy is feeling what others feel. Empathy. So empathize. 
you want to empathize a, at least a little bit of what they've been going through because you'll just never understand yourself. Yeah, 100%. I'm totally with you there. And that's why from here on out, I'm going to continue to push myself even further to become a ally for the black community. Like we said, whether it's through the podcast means, whether it's through I donate, whether it's through continue learning, getting in touch with people, my people that I know who are African-American and having them help me become a more understanding and helpful and be able to discuss with people who don't understand and become a better advocate for them as a middleman of sorts. Yeah. And I think that's an important one too. I mentioned, you know, watching, listening, reading, but also talking, you know, talking to people. And especially if you have, uh, I don't want to say like, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. Basically, if you talk to these organizations, talk to African-Americans during these protests, during these riots, and just get a feel of, you know, why they're protesting, why they're pushing through with their message and getting their actual emotions from them as opposed to just reading it through text or listening it through through a podcast like us, even though we aren't the best source when it comes to this subject. No, I, I don't. I'm not trying to be the knower of all. I'm not trying to pretend that I know everything about the topic and that I am the be all and all of it. And I've admitted continually throughout this episode that I need to do better. And that's kind of what this is doing. It's not, we're not giving you the, how it is or how it should be. We're giving our, we're giving our opinions, but we're also, we want to keep the conversation going. As Sammy mentioned, that is the big thing. However, I'm thinking for this podcast episode, we should kind of wrap it up here. So anything else you want to add? Just constantly learn. Um, Other than that, you know, I hope there's some change in the near future. It's like you mentioned, it's not going to take weeks, months, years, but hopeful in our lifetime that this change will happen because this is one that's going to unfortunately not go away immediately. And there's always going to be pushbacks despite, you know, how much we want to change society. So other than that, thanks for having me, Evan. Thanks for coming on as always. And thank you for listening to this episode of Firmly Grasp It. Hope you enjoyed and keep pushing forward.